Hello dear listener and welcome to Late of the Rings, a new podcast dedicated to Lord of the Rings, the card game. My name's John and here's my co-host, he's very dangerous over short distances, it's Emery. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon to you, sir. So, we're back. We came back for an episode two. They said we couldn't do it, but here we are. So, how have you been? What have you been up to this last week? Well, um, to put it in context for the listener, we're recording this around mid-April 2020. So, we're in about week four of the lockdown for the coronavirus. So, I must say I've had a fair bit of spare time on my on my hands uh, so i've managed to progress a bit in the in, in the game so i finished the first cycle and i've also finished the quests in the first deluxe expansion uh, and i've kind of left it there and what i'm doing now is going back and sort of revisiting the first quest and and some of the cards which i've not really used yet and just exploring the game as the core set and how far i've got so far and really making sure i understand uh, understand everything. Um, yeah, how, how about yourself? What have you been up to? Well, actually, in stark contrast, I've managed to not play the game once since our last uh, podcast. I have uh, I have been learning how to produce and edit a podcast, which has been educational, so that's been fun. And, of course, I'm also in lockdown, so there's not been much going outside. But, um, oh, I'll tell you what I did do. I'll tell you what I did do on the weekend is I... Um, I, I I rewatched Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Oh, did they uh, now? Um, did they, did they find him this time? Yes, they got him. <laughs> they got him. Um, <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> um, and, and, and I'm re I'm I'm re I'm rewatching all of the Star Trek movies, uh, the original trilogy, the original trilogy. God, that's that's the, that's the other star star thing, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <No. laughs> Um, I'm actually rewatching all of the uh, the old Star Trek films, and I'm up to Search for Spock. And um, it's often regarded as the best of the bad Star Trek films. Is it? Is that a? Is is that a thing? We have bad Star Treks and yeah. and good Star Treks. Is that e- easiest way to um, easiest way to remember the the so called good Star Trek films and the bad Star Trek films? Oh no, <laughs> I just realised what I'm about to say. The even number ones, the even numbered ones. <laughs> so let me get this right. So you're saying that that odd number ones are bad and the even number ones are good. Okay, that's, okay. I just wanted to make that clear. However, I don't think your your bias for even numbers has has tempered that view because I actually completely agree with that. Uh, actually, I, I I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I I, I always remember Search for Spot being a bit boring. And it, actually, it wasn't. For a start, it's an hour and 40 minutes long. So in new money, that's a double episode. <laughs> so that it flew by. And and I also thought that this was the first Star Trek film where they really started injecting humour into the dialogue a lot. And, uh, and that was, re- you know, as much as Wrath of Khan is obviously a work of genius, it's not very funny. <laughs> it's really not. Um, and... The great, great thing about Search for Spock, which I noticed, is um, it. I don't know if you remember. It ends with Kirk fighting the the main Klingon enemy. I think his name was Krug, uh, played by the great Christopher Lloyd. Um, but he he fights him at the end on the Genesis planet, which is tearing itself to pieces. 
and is becomes a volcanic landscape. And I started thinking, what is it with third parts of of movie franchises where they feel like they have to put in a fight on a cliff edge in a volcanic landscape? I mean, <laughs> search for Spock. Um, obviously, The Return of the King has a fight in a volcano. Of course, yeah. Yep. And of course, um, Revenge of the Sith, one of the uh, one of the greatest cinematic climaxes of all time. <laughs> Fight on a volcanic landscape. <laughs> when uh, when Obi Wan claims for higher ground, he has the higher ground. <laughs> Very exciting climax. <laughs> <laughs> that was also a thing, apparently. That's a very good point. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Okay. Okay, should we make a podcast? It sounds like a jolly good idea. All right, let's do it. Let's do that. Okay, so coming up in today's show, we're going to be talking leadership from the core set. We're going to have a feature on things that we... Wow, how do I describe this, Henry? This is this is your thing. Things that... So it's, it's basically things we wish we knew when we started playing. And some, and some basic... A couple of basic pointers for beginners. Okay. Really just my views on it. That's all it is. Okay, so we'll call it Emery's Corner. <laughs> okay and and then following that well of course we'll have our uh of course as if we've done it lots of times uh then we'll have the uh we'll have the fact of the week and uh general chit chat on the way so let's jump right in leadership so initial thoughts initial thoughts well they're purple <laughs> <laughs> as all leaders are um, okay, so obviously we're going to just focus on the on the core set cards here. So my initial reaction with leadership was when I when I was first flicking through the core set, they always seemed like oh this is the rounded sphere. Yes, that was my thought as well, rightly and wrongly. I think it turns out. <laughs> I just realised that most spheres are indeed rounded, but in a. <laughs> They're all rounders, you mean? All rounders. Well, spheres a bit of everything. Spheres are round. So, <laughs> yes. Good, good point. Good point. Well made. Um, <laughs> like rings. Ah, bringing it back onto topic. That's uh, it's very good of you. Um, well, I remember when I looked at leadership and I thought, well, okay, these uh, these guys they don't seem too expensive. They don't seem too cheap. They all seem to be able to do a bit of questing. They all seem to be able to do a bit of fighting. And um, and I think this is where I, where, when I first made my first Monosphere deck, when I very first started playing, I started with leadership just to see how it played out. And I don't think I probably beat the first quest because Monosphere really is tough. Yeah, I think I did the same, but my Monosphere was Tactics. Oh, yes. And I failed miserably on the first... I think we mentioned this last week, actually. We'd go straight into the first quest with, with tactics and, and, and you're done for. I think I also did leadership as my second one as well, actually. For precisely the same reasons as you. It did seem a bit of an all-rounders kind of yeah kind of set to to a to a untrained eye. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think another thing that jumps out about leadership is... It's the sphere that you immediately notice is resource-based. Um, and what I mean by that is that it's the sphere which um, is less concerned with exhaustion and more concerned with generating and spending resources in order to pull off um, effects and combos. So an, an example of that, if, in fact, one of the very first combos you I think you ever notice in uh, Lord of the Rings card game is the 
Aragorn hero and Theodred hero combo. That Aragorn, he's a leadership hero and he has a starting threat of 12. Uh, two willpower, three attack, two defense, five hit points. So a very solid guy to start off. He is sentinel, which means that if you're playing two player, he can defend for your co-op partner. And he has a response. After Aragorn commits to a quest, spend one resource from his resource pool to ready him. So there you go. So he's he's spending resources to do his action. And as I said, one of the first combos I think that uh, makes itself apparent is how Aragorn plays with Theodred. Theodred is a leadership hero. He has a starting threat of eight, only one willpower, but two attack, one defense, and four hit points. So pretty solid for such a low starting threat. And he has a response. After Theodred commits to a quest, choose a hero committed to that quest and add one resource to that hero's resource pool. So then as, as soon as you put those two cards on the table, you go, wait a minute. If I just commit Aragorn and Theodred to the quest, I can add one resource to Aragorn, spend that resource, and then ready him. So combos don't get much simpler than that, but it is still a nice introduction into... Uh, into how cards can interact with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, that actually wasn't one of the first ones. It took me a while to notice that one. Because <laughs> when I first, and this might be something to do with the fact that I hadn't played any of these kind of games before, or it might just be that I have a different way of thinking, or it might be that I'm a bit thick. But it could be any of those things, probably a combination. Or, or <laughs> It could be all three. It could be all three. <laughs> it's definitely all three, I think. <laughs> but... Um, because I think it, it took me a few goes uh, and a little bit of time to actually understand that so much of this game is about the synergies between the different cards, rather than just looking at a card on its own and saying, oh, what, what can that do, what can't that do? That, sort of, that whole idea of combinations and stuff was, was something that took me um, a few goes to get my, to, well, to start getting my head around. Yeah, I, I don't think that's uncommon with new players to card games like this. I mean, it's not something that we think about as human beings on a daily basis is is how things combine and synergize. Um, and I think that's why it's, it's nice that they put this combination in, in one sphere between two heroes that you get. So you don't, it presents itself without too much thought power, unless you're you. Correct, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Took a lot of power. <laughs> one, actually, this is, um, this, this combo actually brings up a easily missed rule which uh, I know we we're going to talk about this later on, but, but perhaps it's wise to bring this up now. And that's that when you commit characters to a quest, um, they all commit at the same time. And then therefore, any responses that these players have for exhausting or committing to a quest would also trigger at the same time. So therefore, as a player, you would get to decide what order they played out. The reason I bring this up is because, um, as I said, Theodred has a response that after Theodred commits to a quest, choose a hero committed to that quest and add one resource to that hero's resource pool. And Aragorn has a response that after Aragorn commits to a quest, spend one resource from his resource pool to ready him. So if this didn't all happen simultaneously, it would be very hard to know, well, hang on, who committed to the quest first? Do I have that resource to ready Aragorn or has Theodred committed... But afterwards, so therefore that resource hasn't moved. and But I'm making it sound very confusing, but the whole point is that it's not because it all happens at once. So you as the player get to decide and and that's and that's a good thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely worth pointing out because those are the little nuances which you certainly miss when you first start playing, for sure. Um, these two heroes I've used in... I've, I've used both of these guys in fairly successful decks uh, in my limited gameplay so far. Um, I've never used Gloin, the third hero in the set. I've not once used him. <laughs> so... I was still to discover his uh, pros and cons, really. Okay, well, just for the listener, do you want to just let us know who Gloin is and what he does? Gloin, well, he's a father to some troubled children, I believe. Uh, he's uh, He's got a starting threat of nine. Uh, he quests for two. He hits for two. He's got one shield and four hit points. He's a dwarf noble. And his ability, his response is, after Gloin suffers damage, add one resource to his resource pool, for each point of damage he just suffered. Yeah. Which sounds like, well, he's got four hit points. Um, so you can get sort of, when you first start playing, you'd think, oh, you can get four resource on on this guy. At max, well, three resource before he dies. But actually, once you start to get into the game, then you start to think, well, actually, if you couple him with other spheres, you might be able to reduce the number of hit points on him. Or if you give him some attachments like armor or, or what have you, that can suddenly become a good source of of generating resource when you need it by shoving him into battle. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I think you're right. I don't think this this response really comes into play until you can beef him up a bit because three more resources yeah. it and you have to put your hero on the brink of death to earn them is not is not very economic if you ask me. Um, and I, I agree. It, he certainly wasn't someone that I thought. Oh yeah, I'm 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 bringing Gloin out. That sentence didn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that is still true. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I can cer- I can certainly now, having played the game for a while, I can certainly now picture decks in which he'd certainly be useful in. I think for sure. And I'm yet to really explore dwarves, so so. I'm sure he'll he'll have his day. <laughs> one one thing I would say, just looking at the card again now, one thing I would say that Gloin has got going for him, he has a, a pretty low starting threat, only nine. And for that, he has some pretty hardy stats. I mean, he'll quest for two, which is exactly the same as Aragorn. Um, he'll hit for two, which is only one less than Aragorn, and he'll defend for one, which again is only one less than Aragorn. Um, so if you, if you do need to keep so- your starting threat low... Hold on, but I've just—I think I've just learned something now. Oh, so the starting threat is the addition of those other four numbers. Ah, well, it yes, it started out that way, and that, uh-huh. and that's uh, <laughs> that's certainly um, I think pretty much how they worked out how to how to balance the heroes to start with. Um, as as we progress through the game, you'll notice that they do they do deviate from this. Um, and that's how you can you can work out that um, that some some heroes are probably overpowered or underpowered because if you do take that as a base point. Also, actually, with um, with allies, um, I know what a lot of people uh, would do is they would add up the stats of the ally and compare that to the cost of it. So, for instance, our friend the Snowborn Scout, he only costs one, but he has no willpower, no attack. One shield and one hit point. So you think, yeah, one sounds about right. Whilst um, whilst Faramir, who I think we'll talk about in a moment, he he costs a whopping four, but he will quest for two. He hits for one, shield of two, three hit points. 
So four suddenly seems pretty reasonable. He also has an amazing ability, which we'll come to in a second. He does, yeah. Well, shall we talk about that now? Sure. Let's uh, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk the other. I mean, I don't think we'll go through every single card, but let's uh, let's see. Out of the uh, leadership sphere, which, which allies stand out for you? I'm guessing Faramir. Well, Faramir is excellent, but um, as I think I've told you before, John, I've had trouble getting Faramir to actually appear in the game. <laughs> it's been a bit of a running joke. Um, have you uh, have you put him in your decks? I have. I have put him in my decks. It's a good start. I've just been unlucky. And my running joke is that he's always in the pub with a couple of other cards, which never seem to appear as well. And when he does appear, he turns up too late when I've just spent a whole bunch of resource and can't afford him anymore. And (laughs) it's all a disaster. But when he has appeared, he's unbelievably useful. And I think he's one of the kind of go-to core cards you kind of need when when you've got a leadership deck. Um... So his stats are, uh, he costs four, he quests for two, he hits for one, got a shield of two, he's got three hit points. Um, Gondor, he's noble, he's a ranger. But what's really great about him is his action. So his action is exhaust Faramir to choose a player. Each character controlled by that player gets plus one willpower until the end of the phase. Just amazing. Just just awesome. Amazing. So, so basically exhaust this guy. If you happen to have so in a minute ago, we talked about the Snowborn Scout, who doesn't quest for anything. But if you've got him out and you just need an extra point to, to quest with, you can still use him and he'll, he'll quest for one instead of zero. Ah, that's that's, interest, that's interesting that you uh, approach it that way, because I would actually look at it another way. Because it, it, with, with the way you just described, you would have to already think in advance, oh, I'm going to need an extra one quest. So I will... I will quest with the Snowborn Scout, and then I will exhaust Faramir. But yeah. well, what, uh, because you you would have to why? you would have to have already decided that because you wouldn't quest with Snowborn Scout otherwise because he's got zero. Oh no! So what I'm talking about is a situation where maybe you don't have any engagements and there's no one nasty up in the staging area, or you've got somebody out who can take that hit if you do get somebody. And you desperately need to get past a, a location, or you need to get to the next quest card, whatever it is. It's just another, it's just another one to chuck in there. Obviously, the more cards which are questing, the more powerful Faramir is. So, if you're questing with three, you get three additional. If you quest with five, you get five additional, and it's uh, and, it, and, it, and it goes up like that. Obviously, if you're only questing two, then you may as well just quest Faramir. Absolutely, and and, and you know, but there's I think, no, not much difference. But what I think, well, there's no difference. No, zero difference. <laughs> well, well, there is in that sometimes you'll get some nasty card which talks about people who are committed to a quest. Correct. Specifically. So there, so there could be that element to it. Look at you. Um, Look at but, you. Yeah, coming on leaps and bounds, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but what, what, my, my original point about that it was strange that you think about questing with Snowball Scout and then... Uh, with the foreknowledge that you would use Faramir to give him um, willpower, mm. is that I would always quest with what I believed should get me through a certain part of the quest or what I intend to do. And then once the encounter deck has presented the, the threat I'd need to get by, I would only then perform Faramir's action. So I'd keep Faramir ready, knowing that he's pretty good in a fight, He's a good defender. Um, 
see what comes off the encounter deck, go, ah, I could do with another three or four willpower here to really push through, exhaust Faramir, that gives me the extra, and off I go. And of course, you can't do that with the Snowborn Scout because you would have had to have already made that decision to exhaust him beforehand. So that's why I'd keep the Snowborn Scout just yeah. always ready because you don't know if a nasty troll's coming to come off that encounter deck that you just want yeah. to get you just want to throw the Snowball Scout in front of. Yeah. But you might have another Snowball Scout, for instance, or you might have somebody else. You might want to... Well, we'll come on to this when we talk about tactics. You might have You might have somebody you want to take some hits. Or like Gloin, for instance. You might want to get some damage on him, get some resource. So yeah, absolutely. I think general, generally, yes. I guess what you're talking about is wait to see what happens. And actually, do we need to use Faramir's special ability? Yes, then boom. Okay, we'll get past this... Uh, Whatever it's. I'm very much in favour of not performing abilities until the last possible minute because you never really know what's going to come off that encounter deck. Um, but I would say this for Faramir, and you, you touched on it, he is expensive. You said, well, when he shows up, you could rarely afford him. And this is, I think Faramir was the first card I noticed in leadership where it's like, oh yeah, it's a nice balanced uh, sphere that's all based around resources. Oh, I can't afford the good cards. But there is, of course, one card in leadership which changes all of that. And that's, of course, uh, the Steward of Gondor. <laughs> Possibly still, to this day, the most overpowered card that's not been errated. Um, just for those... Is it overpowered? Well, let's, let's discuss. Let me just read out the card first. So it's the Steward of Gondor. It's an attachment. It's a cost of two. Two, Emery. It's a cost of two. It is unique um so there's only gonna be one of these on the table at any one time um but this is the card so it is a title attachment and it, you attach it to a hero the attached hero gains the gondor trait yeah that's not too that's not really anything at the, this stage of the game um and it has an action exhaust the steward of gondor to add two resources to the attached hero's resource pool now, I'll just, just say this one more time. It costs two. This is a free card, essentially. You, you pay your two, you stick it on, you exhaust it, you've got your two back. And then you just exhaust it every single round for an extra two resources to that hero. Yep, it's terrific. <laughs> just before we talk about the card... You mentioned about uniqueness. Oh, yes. Now, this is another mistake which I had made, which you noticed once when I showed you my <laughs> completed board. Hey, look, I've, I've, I've just done this latest quest. And you noticed I had two Steward of Gondors. Please as, uh, please as four, punch uh, you were, weren't you? Please as punch. Please as punch. And he said, no, you have cheated because you have made two of your characters Steward of Gondor. And I was like, well, hold on. Where does it say that? So... Most of the time, in fact, pretty much all the time, it's in words. It will say restricted or whatever it is. This one, dear listener, most people will know this. I just happen to not remember this from the rule book. That pesky rule book. Yes. <laughs> My, your friend of mine. Um, the uniqueness is marked by the circular icon in, in the title. So there'll be a, I mean, what is that exactly? I'm not sure. It's like a, a circle with a kind of Celtic looking kind of cross in it, really. Um, and that means that you can only have one of those on the table at any one time, like like you said, John, a second ago. And that was something, again, which I'd miss. So for new players, that's something worth bearing in mind. 
so you, obviously all the heroes will have that. You can only have one of each kind of person, <laughs> a unique person on it. And, and this is this goes the same for these kind of attachments and cards as well. Yeah, what you'll find with unique cards is that you can only have one of them, one unique card by name on the table. And the important thing about that is, is as you said, that all the heroes are unique. But as you progress through this game, you'll you'll see that um, that heroes have been released in more than one sphere. So I don't want to spoil too much, but there there are other versions of Aragorn, and there are other versions of Faramir. For instance, just as an example, um, so because they are unique by name, it means that you can't play Aragorn and your partner can play the other Aragorn. So even though they are different cards, they're unique by name. Yeah, and this one, for instance, there can only be one steward of Gondor. Yes, if so- you think about the story, there is only one. That's not Highlander, but there is only one steward of Gondor. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so yes, that's the uniqueness aspect. But in regards to the card itself, that means you get two extra resource every uh, round, essentially, which is highly useful. It's ridiculously overpowered. I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. And it goes in every single one of my leadership decks, without a doubt, three of them. But um, it, yeah... It, but for some of the cards that have been errated over time, which we will be discussing in future episodes, this one, I am amazed, has not has not been touched. Why is that? I mean, so I've only played um, the first cycle, really, uh, to be honest, and, and the core set adventures. And obviously some, once you've been playing a while, one or two of them are fairly straightforward, but a lot of them are really quite tough, um, especially for when, you, when, you, when you're first beginning the game. Um, if you have a resource-based kind of deck or you've got a leadership deck, you need to generate resource. Um, this is pretty much the main way to regularly do that, which I've found so far. But I was, when you look through the other cards and you think, well, what are the other possible ways uh, to do it? You know, at the end of the day, you need some kind of special ability to get actual resource. And this is kind of the main one. I know you can get some, we spoke about Gloin earlier. Are there any others which... which well, uh, Theodred, Theodred, who we spoke about just two seconds before Gloin. Yeah, so, so he, can, he can get one resource, but you have to commit him to a quest to do that. Yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, but you're, you're, you're right, there aren't that many ways to gain resources. It's just as the game progresses, there become more and more and more ways to generate and... The Steward of Gondor remains completely untouched. And, and, and I'm not in favour of erratering cards, by the way. I actually hate it. I think that it, it's just a pain that your your game changes. Um, is, it, is it worth explaining what, what erratered is? Because I didn't. I, I thought that was just a legal term before I heard it applied to, <laughs> to this game. <laughs> so. Yes, of course. So so basically, as cards get released, they, they have text on them and then for, for whatever reasons, certain abilities through playtesting have not been highlighted as overpowered. Or perhaps people find combinations which no one expected, which essentially can break the game. Which is less important in a cooperative game like this, because you're really not trying to win against an opponent. But in a game such as Magic or Keyforge or any of these head-to-head competitive games... 
it's very important that no one finds a way to essentially just break the game and have instant wins. So what what tends to happen is cards either get removed from the pool, uh, which is what happens in, in Magic, that the cards just get retired, um, or cards get errated, where for future printings of that card, the text is changed to essentially nerf it. And that's happened a few times in, in Lord of the Rings, the card game. And it, 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 so what's, it, go ahead. What, what, what's nerf? Sorry, you said nerf it. Um, make it less powerful. It's, it's how the kids speak. Yes. <laughs> See, these are, I think I, we touched on this last week, so I think this is some of the lingo which I'm <laughs> probably not quite up to speed with. <laughs> uh, okay, it's nerf. That kind of fairly descriptive does what it says on the tin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, you don't want to be nerfed, do you? No. No. <laughs> Um, well, we actually sort of we were, we were touching on the uh, on the leadership allies, and then uh, we we did jump to an attachment. But let's 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 try and bring it back to the allies just for one second. Are there any other allies from the leadership sphere which you particularly like? I mean, I, I mean, I don't think we need to touch on the snowborn scout anymore. We mentioned him last week. He is basically orc fodder. Um, is there anyone else there that that that, that well? Uh, what what I found is yes. Yeah, so we talked about snowborn scout. He's a bit of a go to with his ability to put a progress token i know you mentioned last week you weren't a fan the guard of citadel often makes an appearance in my in my decks just because he's fairly cheap too and can take a cup well take take one hit basically he can do he can quest for one he can hit for one he's got no shield got two hit points pretty basic kind of guy no no special abilities I think that's why I think that's why he never really appeals to me. Certainly not anymore, because there are so many other two point uh, sorry two cost allies out there which have an ability or can just do a little bit more. He just never finds a way into his de- into a deck anymore. It's not, that's not to say that during my time playing the core set he didn't make an appearance in my decks. Well, the reason I've gone to him is I actually agree with you. There's nothing remarkable about him. In some ways, you think he should cost one, <laughs> but I, I agree. I think it's just. If, it's just it's just comparing it to the others. So you have the son of Arnor, who I used for the first time in a solo deck uh, yesterday, actually. Um, but again, he costs three. Can't quest. He's got no shield. He does hit for two. He's got two hit points. Um, and his his ability is response. After son of Arnor enters play, choose an enemy card in a staging area or currently engage with another player, engage that enemy. So the the only use for him in a one-player game is to get an enemy out who has a certain amount of threat you want to take out uh, while you're questing, uh, and obviously you engage them. I didn't, I haven't found any kind of use for that, but that's obviously the situation you use him in. I just haven't happened to come across that yet. So for, for for the cost of three compared to the cost of two for the Guard of Citadel, I've tended to go for the more basic, you know. Bargain basement version. <laughs> yeah, I do agree. The son of Arnold is overpriced. There are a few uh, niche cases where he is useful, um, and um, I do, I'm careful not to not not to do spoilers because we will uh, we'll be talking about the the quests in a later episode. But for instance, if there is an enemy in the staging area which you wanted to put into a trap, for instance. Now, a trap, um, there is only one in, in the uh, corset, which is the forest snare in the, in the law sphere. But that's an attachment, which means that you can only play that during 
your planning phase. Um, so if you play the Son of Arnor before your trap, during the planning phase, you could bring a nasty enemy out of the staging area and then trap it immediately. Whilst what would normally happen is you'd have to wait for that enemy to engage you, you would have to survive a round of it and then trap it the next round. Would you have to wait a round? Don't you have, I think you've got a action window, haven't you, after you, you could optionally engage him or, or what have you, then there's an action window after that. Yeah, but to, the but the to trap him, right? But the forest snare, which again is the only trap we have currently in the core set, is an attachment. So you could only play that attachment during your planning phase. You could you couldn't play it outside of that. It's only only events you could play outside right. of the planning phase. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And and obviously that, that ability for the son of Arnor is only after he enters play. So it's only one time use. Yes, it's a response. It's a response to it's a response from entering play. Yeah. So um, there the is other... gone. Well, I was going to move on to say if you wanted to still talk about Son of Arnold, go ahead. Um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was going to quickly brush over the other three, and then maybe you could jump because I've barely used them, and then maybe you could say something about one or two of them, whatever you wanted to do. Sure, I'll give you. I'll, we'll do quick fire response. Okay, so the the other allies, uh, there's, there's three other allies that are in a core set. There's Silverload Archer. Rubbish. Who's, yeah, he costs three as well. Again, I've never had real need for him, so I've barely used that guy. Then you've got the two more expensive ones. You've got Longbeard Orc Slayer, who costs four, but he's got a he's got a, uh, quite a cool ability, which is after he enters play, deal one damage to each orc enemy in play so if you've got a whole bunch of orcs sit, you know, there in, in the staging area or, or engaged he'll stick one damage on all of them as soon as he comes in he, he is good he is expensive like you say he doesn't find his way into many of my decks unless it's a very dwarf specific deck um one very good thing about that uh, ability that you just mentioned is that it's one damage to each orc enemy in play so if you are playing a multiplayer game uh, remember that it will damage not just the orcs engaged with you, not just the orcs in the staging area, but orcs engaged with your companions. Yeah. And w- one time he could be useful, and this is something I'm, I've only really been exploring very recently, is his use in conjunction with another one of the cards, with one of the event cards on here, which is for sneak attack. Oh, Oh, are we jump? Are we jumping? Are we jumping to sneak attack? Or do do I the last? Do just the last before we, yeah, do the last. Just before we do, yeah. So the last one again. I've not really played a dwarf focused deck yet, so I'm sure this this guy will come use, come useful at some point. I've never played him. He it costs six. It's Brock Iron Fist. Um, but his response is: after a dwarf hero you control leaves play, put Brock Iron Fist into play from your hand. So I've never used that. But I guess that means he goes in for free, right? He's dreadful, man. He's dreadful. Let it go. <laughs> but he goes in for free. You don't have to pay six for to do that. Just, just, just burn it. Actually, it says a dwarf hero. You, you know, you're in trouble. This is, this is like you're taking off. I don't know, Alan Shearer, and you're bringing on. 
Yeah, Emil Heskey or something. I don't know. It's just, it's not, he's not that bad. So basically, so basically, the response Emil is... Emil Heskey I was talking about isn't that bad. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Brock Ironfist really is that bad. Um, so what it's essentially saying is when one of your dwarf heroes dies, you get Brock yeah. Ironfist. It's like, exactly. yeah, no, I'd rather just keep my dwarf heroes alive, thanks. Um, and let's say you don't bring him in through his ability. He's a cost of six. Six. Gandalf costs five. <laughs> but isn't he free? Only if you have a dead dwarf on your hands. Yeah, exactly. If that's, you keep him there, surely you only use this guy as a backup in your hand in case one of your dwarfs... Basically, if Gloin carks it, you can stick him in there. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's just look at this in a thematic way. So, oh, we're in a fight. Brock, Brock, come and help. Come on up. No. No, you're all right. You're all right. Come on up. Wait. Brock, Brock. No. Gimli's dead. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's because he's busy smoking his pipe. He's a... <laughs> I've got no time for Brock Ironfist. I don't think... You, you don't sound like you're a fan here, John. Let's, and I've never used him before. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's move on, shall we? Poor old Brock. Misunderstood. <laughs> that takes us on to events then, I guess. There's only six event cards in the corset um and the one which i was talking about earlier or just mentioned was the sneak attack and it's, it's really just come to my attention recently how powerful this card is so i'll just read out what it is cost one it says action so this is an event card it says action put one ally card into play from your hand at the end of the phase if that ally is still in play return it to your hand so what that means is if you wanted to and i'll explain how i kind of misunder or undervalued this initially so the way i'd see that is take gandalf for instance he can quest for four he can hit for four he can defend for four you can sneak attack him in if you need to in the quest phase if you need to really push on through a quest get an extra four there or you can if you needed somebody to defend some nasty attacker he can defend for four or vice versa he can attack for four and and then soon and then after that phase over as long as he's still alive it goes back into your hand. So if you want to bring him out again with another sneak attack or you want to spend five to bring him into play, you can. And that obviously applies to any ally. And don't forget with uh, with Gandalf is, of course, when he comes in, his ability will, will, will well, kick this off. Is, this is the, yeah, well, this is the bit which I undervalued. So what the bit I didn't get about the card initially was exactly that. So when Gandalf enters play, take that as a really good example. You can, what was it? You can draw three cards is it or you can yep. reduce your threat by five or you can damage an enemy up to four so you can sneak attack him in reduce your threat by five if you want and then when you bring him into play the next go or subsequent go you can again reduce your threat by five and that was the part of it which i really didn't think about i kind of missed initially so i i actually when i when i first did that i thought oh, hold on a minute can i use this so he's entering play I thought, sure, that sounds a bit too good to be true. So I actually looked that one up uh, online. As it turned out, yes, that's that's how it works. So yeah, that's a very, very powerful card uh, for sneak attack. So that's now become a complete staple um, of mine to have three of those in my hand if I'm playing a, a leadership. Oh, I'm sure. Sneak, sneak attack Gandalf or sneak attack any powerful ally with a powerful effect is, is a wonderful combo. Um I'm just going to interject here because there is something interesting with the wording on this card. Um, uh, don't worry. How you're playing it is correct. 
before you start crying. Um, it says, action, put one ally card into play from your hand. Now, there is a, a subtle yet important difference between putting an ally into play, or sorry, putting a card into play, and playing a card. And you'll you'll notice that this, this, this will only really come into effect when you have another card where it says that X, Y, and Z will happen when you play a card, or X, Y, Z will happen when a card is enters play. And so it's important to note that when you when you play a card from your hand, you're always playing a card. But there are other cards which will allow cards to enter play. And this would also this would also matter if an ally's effect, such as Gandalf's, stated that it only triggered when it was put into play rather than enters play. Right, yeah. It's it's good to be aware of that distinction, because Yet again, another one that took me a while to to to, to fully understand. Um, okay, so there, there's there are five other um, event cards in the core set of leadership, and I've got to say, I think a couple of them I've never used, um, even though they're potentially really powerful. One of them's for Gondor because uh, I've never really done a Gondor character focused kind of set before. Oh uh, well, this, and the other this one's is... Grim. Oh God. No, well, this is interesting because actually I very rarely, well, I don't think I ever played for Gondor when I, just with the corset, and I actually very rarely play it today. This actually ties into what I was saying earlier about the Steward of Gondor, that it has a kind of useless semi-ability of uh, saying that the attacher against the Gondor trait. For Gondor is a very powerful event for Gondor characters, but at this stage of the game, there were so few Gondor-specific characters... I mean, basically, you got Faramir. Uh, anyone else? There's no one else actually in Gondorian Spearmen. You've got you've got a couple in in the guard, other spheres. Guard, you? Yeah, Guard of the Citadel. He's also Gondor. Um, yeah. So, for a cost of two, the effect is very limited. I think. Yeah, I mean, it, I've never. Re- I mean, I think it really depends how many Gondor cards cards you have because there are gondor characters in other spheres as well um and it doesn't only apply to gondor so this says until the end of the phase all characters get plus one attack all gondor characters also get plus one shield until the end of the phase so uh, you know if you're div- if you're just going all out attack for a round or something maybe it's useful but like you say I- i've same as you i've never really found a, a-, a use for it yet um and then the the other one which I've not used, which could actually be really powerful, it costs five. Uh, it costs, it's called Grim Resolve, and the action is ready all character cards in play. So I guess that means for both both players as well. If you're playing two player, yeah. um, immensely powerful. But I've, but I've I've never had the uh, well, I've never put I've never really put it in my hand actually. I've never put it in my deck. Uh, I, I bet there are situations where that would be unbelievably useful it's it's a do or die situation isn't it well i guess that's why it's called grim resolve um i the thing is whenever a card hits about four five or even six brock um resources to enter play i just immediately go would i rather play this or gandalf and yeah there, there is only one choice there i think yeah well yeah but then you only get three gandalfs you only get three Grim Resolves. Yeah, it's true, but but it's uh, 
you know, you might end up with Grim Resolve in your hand and not a Gandalf. If, there's no guarantee of having a Gandalf in your hand, I guess, is what I'm saying. You've got more guarantee having Gandalf if you don't put Grim Resolve in. But this will come back to my ongoing discussion with you of keeping your decks to 50 yes. maximum. Yes, well, it depends if you have 50, doesn't it? So, but yes, that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> or every single day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I still haven't done a deck which consists of 50 cards, dear listener. Not not one. I've done a... In fact, just on that quickly, if you put three of every flavour of card in, it will add up to 51, not 50. It's an odd number, but, you know, it makes sense to me. But that's... It's an... Ah. <laughs> Does it conf- I know. Don't worry. It's, it's for another time. <laughs> Shall we? Uh, shall we just skip through these other cards real, real quickly? Sure. I didn't know if we were going to go through them all, but we, we, we kind of have. So let's do it. There's only a couple left. Yeah. yeah so, um, so the other one I haven't really used as well, actually, is a freebie. Cost zero. Common cause. And the action is exhaust one hero you control to choose and ready a different hero. It's rubbish. Yeah, I've never seen again a, a need for it. Um, I mean, it, well, it's not rub. Look, it's not rubbish, but it's. It's if you're balancing your heroes to at least have some sort of strategy in mind that, oh, this guy's going to be my defender, this guy's going to be my quester, and this guy's going to be my attacker, for instance, um, you might balance it differently, of course. To find yourself in a situation where you don't need to defend, but you do need to attack and you've already exhausted that hero, that, that does come up. It's like suddenly I didn't get the nasty enemies I thought I was going to but I'm still engaged with this guy. Now, actually, no, it's nonsense, because you'll still need to defend, even if you are. Um, no, I, I, well, I don't Could you have a situation... I mean, the kind of thing I'm thinking of is... If you, what if you wanted to trigger somebody's ability or, or, or something, you know? It's, I was thinking about our, 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 a situation where you could use Aragorn's ability, where he can refresh himself after he, after he quests. Um, yeah, but then... Things but like he, that. he would he would already be he would already be uh, readied, wouldn't he? So, so what I mean is, let's say Ar- you quest Aragorn. Let's say you have to quest all of your heroes for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Then you can refresh Aragorn, and then if you did that, but you wanted to use one of your other characters again for attacking or defending rather than Aragorn, you could say, right, common cause. I'll I'll exhaust Aragorn and free up. I don't know. You have got Gimli who's going to batter somebody in the that you're going to engage or something. No, I can see that. That, that. that kind of thing. I can see but, that. Uh, again, I, I can. It's very specific, <laughs> very specific scenario. You know. Yeah, no, but but actually, I think that's actually quite valid. And also reading it through, um, it says exhaust one hero you control to choose and ready a different hero. Now it doesn't say choose and ready a different right. hero you control. So if you were yes. playing a two-player or, or or three or four-player game, you could exhaust one of your heroes to ready one of your one of your companion's heroes, um, should the need arise. I mean, I, I can't think of what that would be off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, well, that's, it could be. But again, you know, some you can refresh somebody like Aragorn after exhaust, then you can get rid of him to pick somebody else who's going to do something amazing. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So yeah, so there you go. So a couple of minutes ago, we both thought this card was useless. 
and then just from discussing it we found actually a couple of <laughs> a couple of places you could potentially use it so this is again a really good um reason for doing this kind of exercise i think yeah um revisiting these cards okay and um so talking about readying we also have ever vigilant which is a nice cheap one cost event and it has an action it says choose and ready one ally card well, I don't really have much more to say. It's quite useful if you happen to have some strong allies yeah. that you've uh, that you've used. Um, I think when I first started playing, I misread it and was readying heroes left, right, and center. And then when I read it that it was ally cards, I, I shed a little tear. But it's only a cost of one, so. <laughs> well, not all tears are an evil, should say. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so yep but i feel the same as you it's a fairly useful card if you've got room for it if you happen to have room for it in your deck then it's a, it's, it's a useful one to have around i don't think it's necessarily a must have in all situations but no um and moving on to the final event this was always one of my favorites it was valiant sacrifice again for a cost of one and it has a response after an ally card leaves play that card's controller draws two cards now i love drawing cards Anything that lets me draw more cards, I'm in. So this one lets you draw two. Hooray. Um, but what I think is, is great about this one, it's, it's the specifics again. It says, after an ally card leaves play. Now, that's not necessarily when he's destroyed. So if you happen to be sneak attacking in Gandalf, you could then, when he leaves at the end of the phase, play Valiant Sacrifice and get yourself two extra cards. So if you were using Gandalf to draw those three cards, you could potentially get an extra five cards just in one phase. Cunning. Yes, and that again, so this is another one where I think I've probably got sucked into the theme too much. I didn't think of it like that. Um, I think it's because you've got old uh, Boromir there in the, in the picture. Actually, absolutely <laughs> stuck through with arrows. Uh, which And it's called Valiant Sacrifice. So immediately to me that says, right, somebody's gone down so you, <laughs> so, so you thought immediately i won't bother reading the words i've got all the information i need from the picture correct yes that's correct and the name yeah <laughs> that is that is my uh natural as that's a very natural thing to do just go on the intuition and how how it sort of feels and this is why <laughs> well we'll come shortly on to some of the advice for 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 new players this, this is why i you know, again i mentioned this last week as well really underline the importance of really reading the cards <laughs> very well <laughs> well uh, well actually we've we've exhausted the uh the leadership sphere i mean i think just in in apart from oh have we got one more there was just, yeah we didn't do celebrian stone celebrian or calabrian i don't know calabrian celebrian yeah calabrian calabrian now i'm only going by uh I'm only going by Tolkien. I'm only going by the guy who wrote the books. I think. Oh, he you got the audio book, did you? <laughs> read, read by Professor J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> the special edition. You got that one. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> um, no, but I believe that in his in his language studies, he he, I believe that he um, always stated that a C in um, Elven was a hard C. But I may have just made that up. Okay. Calibrian. I'm trying to think of... Calibor. 
is the one that jumps so to what's, mind. So um, Yes, exactly. I was about to say, yeah, it probably is. It must be then. Yeah, Calabrian. It must be Calabrian stone then. Not Celebrian. Celery, Brian. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, Calabrian stone. This is fantastic. This, this for me is, if I'm picking Aragorn, then these two cards, the two attachments here are absolute must-haves for me. The Steward of Gondor, which we discussed, and, and this was Calabrian's stone, as we decided. It costs two. It's an attachment. It's an artifact item attached to a hero, restricted. Restricted, just as a reminder, because again, this is something I forgot to always pay attention to at the beginning as well. You can have one or two restricted attachments and no more on any hero. If you want to put another one on, you may be able to take one off. Um, that I did some inverted cheating. I've done a lot of cheating by accident in this game. <laughs> That's yet another one. Um, but yes, this is a restricted uh, attachment. The attached hero gains two willpower. So obviously terrific for uh, questing. If attached hero is Aragorn, he also gains a spirit resource icon. Um, so this is so even without that last bit, this is still immensely powerful. Um, that means Aragorn, if you did attach him, for example, he quests for two. With this, he quests for four, um, and he can, um, if you're playing, if you've got his spirit cards in there, he can also use his resource to um, to pay for spirit cards as well. So this one is a is an absolute must-have. It's also unique too. It's got the little symbol next to Calabrian Stone. Only one of these items exists, so only one person can wear it at any point. Yeah, I, I think as well, this is one of the cards which adds to the theory that leadership is the most rounded single sphere in the core set because um, so suddenly a sphere which hasn't got that much questing power is suddenly right up there with uh, with Spirit, with, with Eowyn, who we discussed last week, has four willpower. Chuck this on Aragorn. Boom. You've got your Arrowin. <laughs> or Eagorn. <laughs> yeah, immensely powerful. It's a, it's a must-have for me. Yeah, I agree. And then coupled with Aragorn's other ability, which is to pay a resource to refresh himself after the... Um, to ready him, uh, to ready himself. If he was refreshing uh, himself, himself, if he was ready, if he was refreshing himself, he could well be uh, eating a succulent meal, or maybe some minging soup which Eowyn had given to him. <laughs> but no, uh, yes, whilst they were whilst they were both whilst they were both questing for four, exactly. Yes, <laughs> and with a side effect of Calabrian Stone, then helping Eowyn out to pay for some of her spirit cards. Absolutely. A great combo. Okay, so I think I, th- I, th- I think we've pretty much well we have completely covered um, leadership there. So yeah, it was uh, I, I thought we were just going to pick our highlights, but we actually went through the whole set. But that it it wasn't that many as as you pointed out. So I think that was probably well worth it. So we touched on a few of these points whilst we were going over these cards, but you wanted to take a moment to talk about the sort of easily missed things that new players and using yourself as an example have come across when you first started playing the game. Well, things that might not be immediately obvious to a new player. They certainly weren't to me. Yeah. Um, Take it away. What, 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 what's on your mind? Well, so I've, I've just I jotted down a few. So I had to think about um, the first few, few games. Um, there's probably some which we've discussed, which I've not put on here. And I'm sure there'll be others which we'll sort of bring up one or two as we go on in future episodes. Um, the first one I made a note of 
was this again when we touched on earlier and i've keep banging on about this point both for the last episode and this one which is read the cards every single time until you are totally confident that you know them so oh and then still read them yeah read them and read them again this includes both obviously your own cards and the encounters and it's very important how they affect each other so we talk about effects uh happening at certain phases or certain things happen in the game which will trigger something else if you don't really know the cards it's really easy to miss those so i would say so my advice is if you're somebody like me where you're not going to just look at it once and gather all the information that's stored out in your brain if your memory is a bit more civ like like mine is <laughs> then my my strong advice is every time you play a card down your first few games look at all the other cards out there and see if anything's happening. And that'll do two things. One, it will get you into the habit of being aware of the different ways the cards influence each other. And two, it'll help you learn the cards quicker anyway. So yeah, so I can't, can't sort of stress that point enough. That, that, that's something that really helped me after I started doing that. After the, the, and I still ended up missing some stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh that definitely did definitely did help. Yeah, of course. I mean, if you, the more you read the cards, the more you'll notice how much the cards can interact, and of course, that's what leads to finding strong combos and strong possibilities in making your gameplay stronger. So, read the cards. Exactly. And the last thing I I just jotted down about that was all that glitters is not bold. So, read everything <laughs> on the card. <laughs> Because it's easy to look at it and you think, well, the stuff is in bold. Oh, there's a response. Oh, it's dwarf noble. But actually, there's some important information which isn't in, in bold on there. So, you know, whether something's range, for instance, or sentinel or, or, or whatever it is. There are a whole bunch of different cards which will have some things in bold and other things which are equally as important not in bold. So read the whole card. Anyway. I won't talk about reading cards anymore. <laughs> um, I think I made the point there. Um, but kind of linked to that, uh, the second thing I'd say is take a little time to understand the terminology. Um, so keep that rule book nearby to refer to. That's, re- that's a really good, I guess, your first reference point, really, for looking up for the keywords on cards and, and this sort of thing. Um, Failing that, just keep me on speed dial. Yeah, well, exactly. So you've played um, this game obviously much longer than I have and have played other such card games, I guess. This is my first one. So I think there are some pieces of terminology. Even just in today's episode, like we were talking about erratering earlier and then we were talking about, uh, what was it? Ner- nerf? Nerf. Nerf? Nerf, yes. Nerf. Okay, I did remember. <laughs> you, you, went, you went quite French then. <laughs> nerf. <laughs> Nine. <laughs> <laughs> and now you've gone German. Nine, n- nine, n- nine companions. <laughs> no companions. <laughs> Didn't quite work. The Council of Elrond had a very different outcome in the German version of Lord of the Rings, apparently. <laughs> anyway, um, so 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 yes. Yeah, so it does help, I think, when if you're going to look things up online. Which I haven't done too much yet. Actually, I've tried not. I've tried to do it weirdly as little as possible to try and get just build up my understanding. I've spoken to you a lot, obviously, um, but when you do, you find that people do use terminology which is 
just sort of taken for granted a lot of the time for people who are used to playing this game, used to playing other games, etc. So if you are new to it, new to this world of card games, you know, just if, if there's something, a word that you don't understand, people are saying, go and look it up. You'll, you'll be able to find it pretty easily. Um, another thing that I felt really helped me was um, when I f- first started playing, I think trying to get a handle on the scope of a number of different cards out there in the core set was really tricky. And I always felt there was a whole bunch of stuff I hadn't seen yet, after, even after I'd played four or five times. Um, and what really helped me to um, get around that was sorting the cards. And the reason I sorted them was I basically just, up, on your advice, I thought this was a really good thing to do, was I bought some binders to hold the cards in. So I put them all in the sleeves. I know we were not going to talk about sleeves, but <laughs> I put them in binders. And actually, once you put them in there and you start sorting through them, like physically sorting them, I think you kind of think, oh, actually, there's not that, there aren't that many. Well, we just went through 18. There are 18 leadership cards in total in the core set, including three heroes. So it's not that many to learn. It's all 15 cards to learn from each sphere, plus the heroes and a couple of neutral cards, that's it. Um, so I think that really helped me uh, gain perspective. Um, I, I agree. I remember when I, when, I, when I first got the game, I didn't have binders because uh, I just got them and I sleeved them and I chucked them in a box. And I remember when I got, kept on getting out the cards to build my decks, I was confronted with this massive stack of cards. And you're right, it just suddenly seems, it seems overwhelming and then you go okay i've got to uh, i'm going to find three of this and i'm going to find three of that and are these going to work together but actually like you say there, there aren't that many different types of cards in the game there's just a lot of them yeah and i think the other thing to do as well is so one of the resources that we spoke about was rings db and there's a really terrific view on there where you can basically do searches by just on the core set and you can even filter that into just a particular sphere, whatever you want to do. And there's a view on there, which is, what is it, scans only, I think it's called. Yeah. Where basically, it just give you just the pictorial representation of each of the cards. It's basically a photo of each of the cards. Um, a scan, if you like. <laughs> a scan, indeed. <laughs> I, I bet they photographed it. But anyway, we'll call them a scan. Uh, <laughs> and but I think that's another way to do it as well. You just see it very simply on one page. That's oh, not that many. Right. So, so yeah, so another important thing for, for new players to do, really give you an understanding of the scope of what's in the core set. If you do feel overwhelmed, just sort them or look on RingsDB at the different spheres. That will help you, as you said, John, let it be less overwhelming and makes it finite and more uh, manageable uh, mentally, I think. That's good advice. And then the last couple of things I had just to mention this week. Were, couple? Um <laughs> <laughs> It's, how many have I done? Three, four? There yeah, there's more. There's more. <laughs> um, so this actually to do with the actual gameplay. Um, so I think we actually touched on this last week too. Um, one of the easy mistakes to make at the beginning is to think that if you don't commit to a quest, that means that you're not going to suffer your threat being raised by whatever's revealed in the counter deck and what's in the staging area. Yeah. Uh, as we said last week, that's not the case. That's a, I think a lot of people seem to make this mistake when they start playing. I think that's why it's uh, fact number one in the FAQ. Yes. Was that the one we said last week? Yeah. 
Was that the fact? Yeah. Oh, it was, wasn't it? Okay, so I'm reiterating the fact. That's probably good. That's probably a good sign, right? You could say you're doing it after the fact. <laughs> In fact, I think you're right. Okay, we'll skip over that one. Um, like the other point I have, well, I've, got, I've still got two more actually. Uh, undefended attacks. Yes. If you have an undefended attack, that means that um, obviously you're not going to take any um, any defense into account. It's just going to go straight onto hit points. Um, those hits have to go onto a hero. They can't go onto an ally. And that's an, another bit of inadvertent cheating I was doing at the beginning. Just killing that snowborn scout. Exactly, yeah. Undefend attack. Oh, that, character, that ally can leave. See you later. Bye. But actually, no, it should go on one of your three heroes. And again, that comes down to really just the minutiae of the rules. So just, just to understand, it has to go on a hero and not an ally. Easy mistake to make. And just to add my two cents there, because of this rule, my recommendation to new players is try as much as possible to never take an undefended attack because you you just will burn through your heroes and it's no way to live. Unless unless you're Gimli. But let's talk about that when we go tactics. <laughs> um, and last point, and I think we did mention this last week as well, uh, there are very specific action windows um, in the game where you, where you could obviously perform player actions. So it's very it's really key to know when they are. And and actually, there, there aren't that many places where you can't perform an action, really. Um, so it's not that hard to get your head around. But when you first start playing, that can be a bit uh, confusing. Because, again, you can end up kind of inadvertently cheating. Or you could end up in a situation where you could have done something, but you didn't realize you could at that point. Because uh, there was an action window there you weren't aware of. So learn your action windows and know, know exactly when you, when you can and can't uh, take player actions. Yeah, I think you uh, you you touched on something there that, that there aren't actually that many places that you can't take actions. So what I found very useful when I first started was learning when I couldn't take actions. So then you have much less to learn and then you just know that if it's not one of those times, you can take actions. Yeah. Well, if it might be useful just to produce a, a small list of when those are, actually. Yeah, put it in the rule book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I mean for when you can't. That's the inverse. Uh, when you... <laughs> um, uh, just uh, uh, we're not really talking strategy now, but just uh, uh, an easily missed, just an easily missed action window. By the way, which I only came across way into my time with the game, is right at the end of the round after everyone has refreshed. There is a small action window before the new round starts. Is it? Is it a small one? <laughs> it's very small just a small just a small you've got like small four seconds <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, you don't you don't play your game no, time too late oh lightweight <laughs> but yes i think and i think as the game goes on that would be, that becomes kind of a bit more um useful i would say yeah i mean it's it's not an action window that gets used that often but there are certainly a few cards that can benefit from it I say no more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah, that's all I had for this week. I'm sure as as the weeks go on, uh, if I do think of any more of these that pop into my head, I'll I'll just sort of bring them up. But they won't be as long or as an exhaustive list as, as that. Uh, but they were my initial thoughts and stuff I wish I knew uh, right from the beginning. Okay, so whilst we're on the theme of 
the FAQ. In fact, I think this is a, a perfect time to move into our, our regular section of the, uh, of the fact of the week. Um, and it goes like this. Question. Does a player commit his characters to a quest at once or one character at a time? Uh-oh. I think I did spoilers for this earlier. I should have read ahead. <laughs> read your own show notes. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully the answer's the same. Yeah, so do I. Okay, so let me just read that one more time. Question, does a player commit his characters to a quest at once or one character at a time? When can a player trigger responses to committing his characters to a quest? Well, I'll be blown if this wasn't what we discussed earlier with Aragorn and Theodred. I will just read the answer for the sake of completion. Answer. A player commits all characters. Answer. A player. Answer. A player commits all characters he wishes to commit to a quest at once. Responses to the characters committing, such as. Oh, this is actually in the fact. Such as those on Aragorn and Theodred can be triggered in the order of that player's choice. Oh, boy. After a player has committed his characters and triggered any responses to those characters committing, the next player has the opportunity to commit his characters to the quest. Uh, do there, we need to discuss go. this more? No, I, I think, think, I think so. we've covered... <laughs> <laughs> Surely it's Oh, good. dear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just move straight on to um, our section of the show where we share the love for other Lord of the Rings, the card game, online resources. Um, and the resource I highlighted this week is um, is actually a blog, and it's it's Bjorn's path. Bjorn, he's not from Sweden. Bayorn, Bayorn, yeah, Bayorn, yeah, Bayorn. he was He wasn't in ABBA, was he? No, or Peter Bjorn I, and John. I think I think we remember that. Um, <laughs> Bjorn Borg, <laughs> <laughs> exceptional serve. Um, <laughs> Okay, so it's, it's Bayon's Puff, which is actually part of a blog called The Hall of Bayon. Once again, I've not written down whether it's .com. Just Google it, people. It's Hall of Bayon, and it's Bayon's Path. Now, this is a brilliant blog in its own right, um, but this, this particular section of it, Bayon's Path, is one of the earliest resources that was created for new players, where it's step-by-step discuss strategies for beating um, the core set and the first cycle in order and which cards worked well together. And it is actually, I, I actually didn't discover it until after I played through the core set, but did then subsequently go back and read it. And even though I'd beaten all the quests and built my own decks, I did still find it very insightful. So I do recommend personally trying out the quests and everything on your own trying to build decks on your own but if you are struggling there are far worse places that you can go to for advice um it's very well written and the advice is very sound and it's uh it's well worth your time yeah i haven't looked at this one myself yet too much i think i've just looked at sort of one article but i thought the same as you i really wanted to complete the quest first on my own before unless i've got really really stuck i guess and that would probably happen at some point <laughs> in the future um but yeah i think probably something to go back and have a look at after you've kind of done it or if you're really stuck like you say 
also you don't necessarily have to follow it verbatim but maybe you you see it and it inspires you of which cards maybe work well together and you can you can close it down and go off and build your own deck and then go back and compare notes uh, yeah okay so i think we've pretty much covered everything we set out to do today um, so next week we're going to be looking at some of the other uh, corset player cards. I think maybe we'll we'll look at we'll look at law uh, because I know Emery, you've only just started really exploring the law, so that that could be that could be quite fun for you. Yeah, I fought for law for a long time, but but for the law's one. <laughs> and what I'd also like to do from next week is start looking at the first quest from the corset and discussing some of the encounters and the encounter cards. Yep. Oh, and exciting news. I've set up a Twitter account. There's nothing on it. There's no followers. We're following no one. <laughs> but if you want to follow us, it's at Late of the Rings. And also, if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can contact us on lateoftherings at gmail.com. So please do. Yes, it'd be, it'd be really good to hear from uh, players, especially new players, to see whether... What we're saying so far is kind of chiming with people and hopefully it's giving uh, people some useful pointers. Great. Okay, so all it leaves me to do is say take care out there, have a good day, and goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.